Well, last week, we talked about the presence of God and how King David illustrated that one could lose that. King David penned uh, these famous words in the aftermath of his uh, affair with Bathsheba. And in verse 11, it says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Again, I'm trying to lay some groundwork as we go into this innermost being uh, with the Holy Spirit. And I hope that we're, we're understanding something very important. Although it's the name of Jesus we lift up that draws people. It is the Holy Spirit who does the work in your life. See, King David, the adultery led to a cover-up. The cover-up led to a murder. The murder resulted in the death of a newborn babe. This event it eventually crumbled his, his empire, and it caused the collapse of his family. When, he, when David finally reached the bottom, he cried out to God. And isn't it good when, when we reach our breaking point that we have someone who we can cry to? Amen. From the depth of his humiliation to the moans and of his utter despair, he calls out, but he, he doesn't call necessarily for help. He begins to repent. And that's very important because we're all going to make mistakes from time to time. Repentance has no excuse. You know, I'm sorry, but this. I'm sorry, and if, if, but this. No, no. Repentance has no excuse. There's no pass in the buck. When he finally, King David, finally came to his senses, he realized that what he had did was basically treason against God. Him being the king with the highest authority and perhaps one of the deepest relationships with God turned his back. This sin that he committed and really anybody's sin that we commit is simply an outward expression of an inward mutiny against the Holy Spirit. Psalms 51 is perhaps the best picture in all the Bible, and it shows what repentance looks like. It's not that difficult. In verse 3, he goes, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. You know, he's finally admitting that it's him. He's the problem. In verse 4 through 6, again, this is in Psalm 51, David confessed how deeply the sin had stained his life. He begged to be forgiven and cleansed from the, from the inside out in verses 7 through 9. And then he penned the greatest words that we, we've all we've heard songs and, and great messages from sermons have been preached from creating me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This brought us to verse 11. David prayed not to be cast out from God's presence and asked a very Profound, frightening uh, um, question or made a, a petition to the Lord. He said, do not take the Holy Spirit from me. See, what haunted David was he witnessed the Holy Spirit depart from his predecessor, King Saul. He knew what would happen to a person who was left to himself, and he witnessed the anointed one, King Saul, be anointed and, and shine like the morning star and he watched the light get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until darkness prevailed. He saw it. 
He was a victim of it. The vessel emptied of the Holy Spirit becomes a new home of an evil spirit. David remembered. He knew what happened to those who would backslide. I have seen men of higher stature than myself tumble down, backslide. The Holy Spirit departs. I've seen great, greater men than all of us probably combined fall. Why? Perhaps they took that relationship for granted. Only the Lord would know. But David watched the violent changes in personality. David understood that once the Holy Spirit left Saul, he would never be the same again. David prayed that what happened to Saul would not happen to him. Then he says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So he threw himself on God's lap, on God's mercy. See, David knew that if the Holy Spirit left him, he too would be effectively finished. And so we have to understand that. Nobody's a cinch domino. Sometimes I think people take their walk with God for granted as if God owes you something. He doesn't owe us anything. In fact, we owe him. There's an old, old Christian hymn. He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owe a debt. I cannot pay. So with that, the, the background, if you will, the Bible says that he's a lamp. The lamp of the Lord. Scripture describes the Holy Spirit as the lamp. In verse 27 of the opening chapter of 20, the lamp, the lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. It searches out his inmost being. The lamp of the Lord represents the Holy Spirit, a lamp. It's like a searchlight. Or those lights on the beach near rocky waters. We're going to go to San Francisco Bay. And they have many of those lamps. You know, and they're going around in circles and their towers, searchlights. Why? Because the boats will know, don't come here. This is the rocky area. These are warning symbols, right? And the searchlight, because that searchlight searches out the dangerous parts of the water. And in the same respect, there are areas in all of our lives that we haven't encountered yet. So the Bible says our heart, our heart is, you know, is, is, is a tricky thing. We can justify how good we are in, in many forms, but Scripture is clear the heart is desperately wicked. And if that's the case, the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into a person and begins to search. That bright lamp that goes from one room of the heart to the other, searching out those things that even your conscience cannot discover. See, our brain is a pretty interesting uh, um, organ. However, there are things that sometimes we don't know. It's called the blind side. Uh, you know, you're, in football, there's a quarterback, and when he drops back to pass, he's right-handed, his blind side is that way, and he doesn't know what's coming his way. So you have to have your best tackle, longest arm, biggest reach, to protect that quarterback's blind side. See, and all of us have a blind side. And somebody goes, well, I don't have a blind side. 
Yes, you do, because if you knew it was a blind side, it wouldn't be a blind side. We're talking about things you don't even know. The old saying, the old adage, you don't know what you don't know. And we truly don't. So we all have a blind side. Up to this point, I've been fortunate enough to, to have a good tackle, to keep the enemy off me. But I know, I know, there's a blind side, and I'm, I'm, I'm always keeping my head over because I don't know, I don't want to be shipwrecked. I too, like King David, have seen mighty people fall. Huh? No. God goes beyond the conscience for several reasons. Many men have seared their conscience. You get this callousness of thinking. You know, it, it was described in, in World War II when, when the Nazis were training the highest guard, the SS. They would put them into rooms as new recruits, and they would surround the classroom with pictures of gory murders, blood and guts. And at first, the first day that each class mate would come in and be disgusted to look at that sign, that, that picture. But as the time went on and time went on, they got used to the picture and it no longer bothered them. Then they took them to the next classroom and made the, the, the pictures even more disgusting. It came to a point that they were so seared in their conscience that nothing bothered them. Then they were instructed to go outside and, and murder, kill. Why? Because they were desensitized. Well, in this day and age, we have been exposed to things that have, learned, have desensitized ourselves to the feel and the touch of the Holy Spirit. There's so many things around. You don't even know if it's God anymore. Why? Because there's so many things that are desensitizing you. I always tell people that that's one right reason why this pastor never looks at horror movies or anything like that. Why? Because that will desensitize me to the real deal. I've learned and I've, I've, I've talked and, and you, FBI agents, different people, and when they beginning to look at counterfeit, these are counterfeit experts, and one would think, well, they're a counterfeit expert because they look at all the counterfeit bills and they know counterfeit bills. No, quite the contrary. A counterfeit expert never looks at a counterfeit. They only look at the real thing. They touch it. They feel it. They smell it. They know why, because they're so accustomed to the real thing that when they touch something that's not real, they go, that's not real. Well, that's what happens. People are so used to touching the counterfeit, that feeling of fear, suspense in, in different ways. They're so used to that that when the real deal comes out, they wouldn't even know the difference. They've been desensitized in the spiritual realm. Ah, now that's my thing. But if you want to watch The Walking Dead, that's on you. But you're in danger of desensitizing yourself. No. See, the Holy Spirit understands that we can sear our conscience. One can be a moral sociopath, unable to know right from wrong. When you're discussing and looking at evaluating mass murders, these sociopaths, they, they, they don't distinguish right from wrong anymore. They've lost all sense of, of, of right and wrong. See, conscience is a good guide, but it's not infallible. Because we can convince ourselves, oh, that's okay. Oh, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Or you have some societies that have, have honor codes where if a woman were to do something dishonorable, they could be put to death. And that's honor. 
Wow, that's pretty trippy. You bring that to the United States, half the woman be dead. Right? Different, different countries. But they've been morally desensitized, sociopaths. See, the Holy Spirit sees and knows every thought and the intent of the heart. Nothing is hidden from him. So he comes and he looks like a blazing light. The Spirit of God exposes everything and sees everything. We can't hide it. See, the Holy Spirit drags the deepest secret out of the closet and exposes them to the light of God. Now, be of good cheer. Don't worry. His God, like I said earlier in his prayer, my prayer, his job is not to expose you, to embarrass you. That normally happens when he's been dealing with you over and 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 over again. God is very patient. Especially if what you're doing is only harming yourself. Now, when you do something and it begins to harm others, God moves quickly. If you're harming yourself, he'll work with you. But when your sin begins to harm others, boy, he comes in quick. And he will expose you. But see, but it's much better to say, God, reveal to me the deepest, darkest areas of my life. So that I can handle it. Because God wants you to handle it. He wants you and him to work in tandem. He exposes and he begins to give you the tools to make it right. He wants that. He would rather have that. He gets no joy in, in, in harming or embarrassing one of his children. That's a last resort. So when that happens, when people say, oh, you see what happened to so-and-so? I go, yeah, that's pretty heavy. Wow, i never seen it coming. No, God's probably been dealing with that person for years. Why do I say? Because I know God took years for me. Hello, somebody. And he allowed me to work that out before I got embarrassed. He allows you to work it out before you get embarrassed. Because you think, oh, nobody knows what we're doing. Oh, maybe no, no human, but God knows. God knows. Aren't we glad that God doesn't take all of our actions that we've done or our thoughts? And, and, and then Martin would say, for a few minutes, let's take a look at the announcements and we see you on the screen, you know, chasing Scary Mary or Lance Romance. Oh, look at sister so-and-so. She, she getting her freak on. Her and Rick James. Hmm? No. The Holy Spirit drags those secrets out. Proverbs 5.21 reads, For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. Proverbs 15.3 reads, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. So once again, we find a truth about the Holy Spirit that, that, that is both comforting and terrifying. Hello, someone. See, to those who have nothing to hide, the lamp of the Lord holds no fear because you're welcoming it. But, say but. To those who are high, you know, up to no good, you know what I'm talking about. You're going out to the sneaky deaky, right? You, you, you think no one knows and you're, you know, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm, oh, you really? Well, those kind of people, well, that's a different story. The lamp of the Lord exposes. Boom. Right? It exposes. So how should we then live? 
So since the lamp of the Lord constantly searches our innermost being, right, the best way to live is to live openly. So when you, when you have people, especially disciples, now, you know, church members, you're coming and going, we don't know. We just, we're glad you're here. But there's some who say they have a call and they want to get deeper. Well, that's wonderful too, but then that type of person has to be more open about their life. Right? They have to be more because you want to come up in the ranks. The Apostle Paul says, I live as an open book, a written epistle for all to read. Could you imagine? That, that's how he wanted to live. So if we're going to be disciples, we're going to be Christian believers, followers of God, then we have to say, you know what? I want to be like that. I want to be an open book for all to read. Live openly. Practice honesty. Yeah. Practice honesty. Hide nothing. See, transparency has nothing to fear as the Holy Spirit searches us out when you're transparent. Right? Oftentimes, I'll, I'll share things. Now, I'm a very transparent kind of guy. I just tell like it is. And then my, I got to go, I got to get the approval, get the, well, because I, I, I think one way. And some of the things I think are normal are kind of crazy, because I, I don't realize they're crazy. That's just normal. So I have to get it, I got to get a, like a, a, a bounce of thought off. I go, Deborah, what do you think about me saying this? And she goes, oh, no, don't say that. No, I got too crazy. I go, is it crazy? Yeah, I guess. And I think about it, I go, yeah, it is kind of crazy. I shouldn't say that. How about if I say it like that? Oh, that's better. Okay. All right. Because I'm transparent. Right? I know where I came from. I know the dirt I've done. I know the people I've hurt. I come before the Lord. I don't hide it. I can't hide it. I don't want to hide it. God, help me. Help me not to be like that. Help me to be different. And I really believe it was my transparency that God took hold of begin to shape me. It was that transparency that God said, I'm going to put a call on your life. Those who want to hide things, you don't want to call. Ministry is too difficult to come in with anything hidden because ministry will push it right out of you. It will suck it right out of you. So we should pray that the lamp of the Lord search us. The lamp of the Lord cleanse us. We should pray that, 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 that the Holy Spirit would move within all of us until nothing is hidden and all things are laid out before him. Amen? See, the Spirit of the Lord has to move in our lives. But we have to invite him in. Well, and not merely by coming in the altar and saying a few words. Those are good, but that's not the, the qualifier. Those are just words. Your, your words have to be quantified. They have to mean something. So when the Spirit of the Lord comes in Isaiah 11, 2, it says the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Now, he's talking about Jesus. He's prophesying about something that's going to happen centuries later. And he's saying this is what's going to happen. But I bring it up because, although, because Jesus was the first fruit, we are the second fruit. We're after him. And we're off, we are all called to be like him. Amen? Not just uh, 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 wear a t-shirt, but we're called to be like him. See, if we're not like him, then you're not a Christian. Christian, the term evolved out of those who are like Christ. 
So Isaiah referred more to the Holy Spirit than any other Old Testament prophet. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, but he is the one who prophesied that Jesus would come and this is what's going to happen to him. Hmm? In this passage, he predicts that the fullness of the Holy Spirit will rest on the Messiah, the shoot that came out of the stump of Jesse. Jesse was a tribe of Judah. See, in those days, Assyria had nearly destroyed the tribe of Judah, cutting it down to a stump. Though Assyria and her allies seemed like a mighty forest, the Lord promised that one day out of that stump, out of Judah, the Messiah, Jesus, would come. That this empire would fall. In fact, all empires would fall and be replaced by one that is greater than all combined. Jesus. Where will the Messiah come from? From Jesse, from King David. We've been studying David on Wednesday. From the stump of David, from the tribe of Judah, this promise comes. And, uh, and Isaiah is prophesying, prophesying. Right? God promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, a descendant of David would rule over the house of Israel forever. Though it seemed unlikely, God, uh, God's ultimate ruler would indeed be from Judah, from the very line of David. And Isaiah predicted that Christ would be the branch bearing fruit. Now bear with me, I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. A ruler who would prosper and benefit his people. Let me say that again. A ruler that would benefit and prosper his people. Now, is there anybody here that belongs to Jesus? Yeah. Is Jesus Lord? Yeah. Is Jesus Savior? So the prophecy was not just for Jesus coming, but it was for his people. As I predict, the Christ would be a branch bearing fruit. Right? Boom, he's the branch. And what are we? The fruit. Some are big fruit. Some are little fruit. Nonetheless, you're a fruit. Some are green. Some are ripe. We just hope you ain't rotten. Amen? See, he predicts that the Spirit would rest upon this man, the Christ, Jesus, the Spirit. The Spirit will rest on those. And again, he is the first fruit. Now, if the Spirit is going to rest upon Jesus, then it stands the reason that the Spirit must rest upon you. If he doesn't rest upon you, my friend, then I'm really not sure which Jesus you invited into your heart. Because they don't work separately. They work together. It's the triune God, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They, there's, a, there's a symbiotic relationship between one being drawn by, the Jesus, by Jesus Christ, by that name, there's a name above all names, being drawn to the altar of Christ. And there's a symbiotic relation because once you're drawn there, then it's like a baton. It's like a, a relay. The, Jesus hands the baton to the Holy Spirit. In fact, he tells the disciples, I must go away. But when I go, I will send another like me. And he will lead you and guide you to all truth. So you, we come to Christ and we, we hopefully we utter those words at the altar and they're sincere, we mean it, we want to change. At that very moment, Jesus handed the baton to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because now the Spirit of God must rest on you. So there's six attributes, and I'm going to end with these, in three pairs that are used to describe the Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, pair one. The spirit of counsel and power, pair two. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, pair three. 
See, this, the first pair speaks of the Holy Spirit gives a wisdom and understanding. Isaiah 11, 2. Let's all go ahead and turn there as I get a drink. Isaiah 11, verse 2. And it says there, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. So wisdom here refers to the practical insight for living. You know, so we just have to have some kind of smart. You know, some people call it street smart. Others call it a common sense. But we're talking about wisdom, practical wisdom. You know, you've heard that common sense is not too common. And let's face it. Sometimes people could be dumb. Amen? Oh, come on now. Let me say that again. You're not telling on yourself. You're telling on your neighbor. Amen? Refers to the practical insight for living. Wisdom. Second, understanding has the idea of keen judgment. And to have both wisdom and understanding, one has insight into life's problems. That there's sometimes, when you're really getting a hold of God, and, and, and my wife and I, we, 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 we cherish the time when people come to us and they ask for advice, and that's cool. Well, and we look forward, we know that's why God put us on this planet, to help others. But there has to be a time. And every individual who comes to know God, if you come to know God and the Spirit of God really rests upon you, there has to come a time where you can make practical decisions on your own. And if you never come to that point, you're always, you know, uh, uh, help, help me, help me, help me. You're always looking for a bottle uh, with some hot, warm milk to suck on. Then something's wrong. Something's wrong. There has to come a point, once God has rested upon you, in the earlier stages, because it's all new, that's understandable. But eventually, Paul says, some of you should be uh, teachers of the word by now. But because of who you are, I still have need to feed you milk. And that is the stage and the, and the problem with most of Christendom. People get so used to milk. Bless me, pastor. Breathe on me. Touch me. Make me feel good. No, they don't want to hear, rebuke me, pastor. Deal with me, man. Tell me when I'm wrong. Kick me in spiritually. Amen. They don't want, oh, no, don't, don't do that. You can't do that. Why? Because they're so used to milk. They don't want to be dealt with, with by me. Well, that's not right. My, my other church didn't do it. Well, they were doing you wrong. They were doing you dirty. Huh? No, no. There has to come a time that after you do that, you have to be able to move to the next level and begin to say, disciple me, train me, make me a soldier, teach me how to be committed. How, what is obedience? What do I got to do? Now you're moving to another level. But most people never get there because they do not have the proper wisdom and understanding. Well, see, these, these characteristics are seen in the life of Christ. When he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he understood her true need. She was thirsty for water, but that wasn't really what she needed. He, he had wisdom and understanding. He's seen this woman drinking water. He goes, no, no, no. He recognized that she needed more than just water. He understood that she had a bad past. Remember, she wasn't that kind of a... The great lady, she had five previous husbands, right? And the man she was with at that time wasn't even her husband. So he acknowledged the deeper prejudices that separated the Samaritans and the Jews. So he had a wisdom understanding. He's looking. He goes, no, no, no. There's more. The, although you're drinking of the well, that's not your problem. There's a deeper problem. Amen? 
wisdom and understanding. It is the Spirit of God because we all deal with the symptoms. It's like having cancer and taking aspirin for the headache. Oh, it may get rid of your headache. It makes you feel good, but the cancer is still there. Hmm? See, these characteristics are seen. We have to be, grow to a point where we can begin to recognize it in others to help others. Finally, Jesus pointed her to the truth. And since God is spirit, he tells her, the place of worship is irrelevant. His worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what you need, woman. Not just water. You need, you need a relationship with God. You need a deeper walk with God. And you have to worship him in spirit and truth. And really, I think that's the issue for everybody. Oh, pastor, what's wrong with my relationship? You better get, find God's will and quit playing around. Oh, God, uh, well, well, I'm having trouble at work. Well, you better start acting like a disciple so your boss will start lacking the favor of God to follow upon you. It all goes back to one thing. How's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? If it's right, everything all around you all of a sudden begins to get light. That's cool. You can handle it. You begin to get wisdom. You have understanding. See, only when those issues were laid to rest for the lady at the well did Jesus reveal himself. Important. I gotta say it like this. People know about Jesus, they come. They just know about him. You know, oh, you know Jesus? Oh, I know about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. and they come because that name just draws. But they really don't know him. Are you with me? They know about him. I, the, the example is, is like Donald Trump. Who, who doesn't know who Donald Trump is? We all know who Donald Trump is, but who knows him? We know about him, but we don't know him. And that's how most people's relationship with Jesus is. They know about him, but they really don't know him. And because they don't know him, he doesn't reveal himself to them. He doesn't. It would be dangerous to reveal for him to reveal himself to you where you're at. He has to get to your issue. What is really wrong with you? And once you begin to expose it, transparent, begin to understand it, all of a sudden, check this out. On its own, almost miraculous, no, miraculously, boom, you begin to understand more. Begin to see more. Begin to relate more. And the people that you're around who haven't got that revelation, they're just not with you. They're different. All of a sudden you have nothing in common with them. Then you feel, is there something wrong with me? No. God has revealed himself to you. He tells Peter, flesh and blood had not revealed that to you. But the Holy Spirit of God has. And on that rock, say on that rock, on that rock, I will build my church. Not on the, how many come unattracted by the Jesus Christ's name. No, 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 no. On the rock of revelation. And only the Holy Spirit can give you that revelation. Only. So you can hear about him all your life, but if you're not transparent and you're not open, you'll never get wisdom and understanding. The second pair talks about counsel and power. Isaiah 11, 2 says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of counsel and power. This speaks of moral insight and heroic purpose. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Isaiah 9, 6. And Matthew 7, 28, 29 tells us when Jesus spoke, the crowds were amazed. They said he taught as, as one who had authority, but he was just a boy. He was just a simple man. He was just a carpenter. And he teaches like one with authority. Something's different about him. No one understood it, but they knew something was different. Hmm? See, we often think of Christ's power solely in the terms of miracles. Healing the sick, casting out demons, making the lame walk, raising the... And that's cool. That is power. 
But there are other kinds of power that are more practical for day-to-day walking. Jesus in, in Luke was able to walk through a mass crowd who were looking for him and nobody recognized him. They're, where's Jesus going? He's walking right by him. Where's he at? Where's he at? Right? Power to cleanse the temple at Jerusalem when he threw all the religious people out the temple. Anointing fell upon him. Power to condemn the Pharisees publicly. You bunch of vipers and snakes. Power to face the accusers who were beating him as he hung on the cross to not say a word. Power to forgive those who crucified him. See, that same Holy Spirit who gave Christ such awesome power wants to dwell in us. To the Spirit of God, we should ask that he fill us with the power so that we may speak when we need to speak and be silent when nothing needs to be said. The third pair speaks of the Holy Spirit's gift of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So this relates to knowing God by doing his will. I would propose to you that those who do not do his will do not know God. They know about him. But if you really know God, and God, we come to understand that God has a purpose, and we don't do it, hopefully we don't know him. Because if we do know him, then you are committing treason. Hmm? See, knowledge refers to the intimate understanding of God, his eternal purposes for the world. To know God, to enter into a deep, intimate, personal relationship with him. The, the Old Testament word in the Hebrew is yada. The same word is used when a man and a woman come together to, to, to create a child. Yada. God says that I want to know you. Paul describes the same thing when he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Yada. Deep knowledge. Huh? Psalms 48 reads, I desire to do your will, O oh my God, your law. Is within my heart. See, Jesus didn't come to earth with his own personal agenda. He came to fulfill God's will. Simple. So if we're like Christ, is anybody like Christ? Then you're in the game. Our job, our purpose, our whole sense of being should be to do God's will. If we're like, if we're not there, then you're not like Christ. You're not a Christian. No, I'm sorry. You're a church member, but you're not a Christian. Give me a break. Christians do God's will. Uh-oh. I'm getting everybody mad at me. Don't get mad. I'm sorry that you're not doing God's will. John 17, 4 reads, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Here's John, his final, I mean, Jesus' final prayer. And he says, the way I brought you glory is to do your will. 
So we always want to give God the glory. And there's only one way to give God the glory. Singing is not giving God the glory, although it's kind of cool, it's fun, it's enjoyable, but that's not what God wants from us. Oh, giving God glory says, I will do your will. A life surrendered to his purpose is giving God glory. A life who says, I put everything aside to do your will gives God glory. The cross before me, the world behind me gives God glory. Hmm? The best motivation to completely do God's will is the second part of this pair. Fear of the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord is to respect him highly. Respect means we adjust our words. We adjust our thoughts. We adjust what we do to please God. Now we're fearing the Lord as I close. If we take these six descriptions together, we have an obedient disciple. How many want to be an obedient disciple? Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. See, disciples have the ability to understand the problems of life. Disciples know how to make wise decisions that help people. Disciples speak in such a way that others want to listen. They don't just share their own opinion because we don't want to hear your opinion. We want to know and have biblical counsel. Disciples show heroic grace under pressure. When things are going haywire, things are going crazy, fire, the house is on fire. I mean, everything's breaking loose. A disciple is just cool. Why? Because they know even the fire came by the hand of God. Disciples are cool, right? Disciples know God. They know God deeply and intimately. They spend time in his word, not time gossiping, backbiting, complaining. Oh, but pastor, you don't know this person. I do, but I know him, I know him just like I know you. You keep it up, everybody's going to talk about you. Stop talking. No. Disciples strive to please God in all that they do. In all that they do. See, God promised to send a man who would, who would be perfectly controlled by the Spirit of God. Isaiah said, there's a man's going to come, and he is going to be completely and totally under the control of the Holy Spirit. In fact, God sent his son, his only begotten son. And in like manner, his son sends you and you and you. That's what we're called to do. As Jesus came in the power of the Holy Spirit, so must every believer. He lived in the power of the Spirit so we could do the same. He died and rose again by the power of the Spirit that we might be able to pick up our cross and follow after him. Jesus set the example. It wasn't a one-time event. In fact, Scripture says that you, those who are completely submitted to God and the Holy Ghost, will do greater things. (laughs) 
greater things. Now think about that. If we ask ourselves, what one thing have we done greater than Jesus? And if we haven't, I'm here to give you good news. Today, his mercies are fresh, and tomorrow is your day. That's what he calls us to do. He calls us, look, man, I'm the example. I was the first one, but you're the second, you're the third, you're the fourth, you're the fifth, you're the sixth, you're the seventh, you're the eighth, the million, more and more and more. What are we waiting for? See, if we're not doing it, then we have not touched the hem of his garment. If we're not moving in power, we have not got that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Something's missing. And unfortunately, this pastor, I can't give you the antidote. I can only show you that there is something that needs to be done in your life. Now you need to take that home, go in your prayer closet, go wherever you're at, your patio, and say, God, what do I need? What am I missing? Because some people are still just fighting sin, temptation, and backsliding. Are you kidding me? You got to give up all that stuff if you want to get to the next level. Some others are maybe not sinning, but you're complaining. You're talking about leadership. You're talking about people. Stop that. How are you going to get the power of the Holy Ghost when you're so busy doing corrupt things? Stop that. Act like Christ. Be a Christian. He showed us what God is like. Jesus showed us what God was like. He also showed us what it means to be fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my goal. I don't speak as if I have obtained, but one thing I do, just like Paul, I press on. I press on to the high call in Christ Jesus. I press on to a day when things don't affect me. I press on, and I press on, and I fight off the temptation of the world, the lies of the devil. I press on, because that's all I want to do. I have a prayer here. And before I make this altar call, I want us all to pray this. And then after we pray this, I want to pray for you. It says this. In fact, let's all repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, may I never take your blessings for granted or feel that I have advanced so far that sin cannot touch me. Lest what happened to others should happen to me. Lamp of the Lord, search me, cleanse me, move within me until nothing is hidden and all things are laid out before you. Lord, without you, I'm like a lost child. Wandering through the streets. Send your spirit to show me the way I should go. Spirit of God, fill me with your power so that I may speak 
when I need to speak and be silent when nothing more needs to be said. Father, thank you for giving me such a clear example of the spirit-filled life. Help me today to follow in Jesus' steps. Amen. The altars are open.